Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper, Josh Norris here as we've been spending a whole lot of time together this week. Uh, um, hi, Josh. Uh, Howdy. But we're going to talk about prospects today, as you might expect. But before we do that, I did want to remind you that if you go to BaseballAmerica.com slash store right now, we're having a special draft offer. The draft's coming up. We're rolling out. You know, draft covers day after day after day. You got our first mock draft up now. There'll be many more. Um, we're, you know, diving into the scouting reports. So I'm soon, soon to have a couple weeks away. We'll build up to it. But before long, we'll have 500 scouting reports for the top 500 for this year's draft. All that. And if you order it right now, go to baseballamerica.com slash store. Uh, you can get an extra free month of your subscription. Uh, just as a little thank you for, for joining us for draft time. So check that out. And if you already are a subscriber, uh, we really do appreciate that. That's what allows us to, to do what we do and to bring the information that we want to bring the inform- you know want to bring to you. So Josh, but we want, we're going to talk. We're going to start here. If you've been at the site this week, you might figure out where we're going to start. We saw you saw three. I saw two games of Myrtle Beach versus Winston Salem. We've talked to scouts uh, about especially that Myrtle Beach team, and uh, really the the starting point for that has to be. The, the Joey Gallo experience, which is unlike much anything that you can see anywhere else around the minors. Not lately. I mean, he's a monster. He really is a monster. He's gotten better since last year. He's made some swing changes or some um, changes with his uh, stance at address, not so much with the swing, but with the approach and the power still there. He's striking out less, walking more. He's hitting triples. He's stealing bases. He's doing everything but hit doubles and... That's okay. It's okay. We'll, we'll take that. If they go over the wall, that's awesome. And sometimes even his misses go 375, 380 feet, and when he gets them, they go 450. It's awe-inspiring. I, you hit on it. The thing we saw, the thing we've talked to scouts that they've said also is, is that what's impressive is, is he is a better player now. He has made adjustments that have significantly improved him. From the end of last year to now. Really, if you're summing them up, he last year he was trying to hit too much he was trying to hit the ball too hard, which sounds silly considering that he has got the best power in the minors, but he's really improved his approach this year. The swing's always gonna be a long swing. He, he's hitting over three hundred right now. I don't know about you. I, I don't think this guy's gonna be a three hundred hitter in the majors or anything like that. But we watched it. We saw it. Rangers general manager John Daniels was there. He saw it. You saw in this series what the difference of 2014 Gallo is that he lays off pitches that are a little bit, you know, that are off just off the plate, which he didn't do. He's also, and you especially saw it in game two, he's not as vulnerable to being beat up in on the hands on the inside part of the zone. Right. I mean, I don't think there's too many spots where you could attack him right now. He hit for the premium velocity. He hit uh, the first home run he hit in that series that went 450 and would have gone 550. There's not a scoreboard in the way. Was on a 94 mile an hour fastball. The second one he hit, Grant, it was a miss. It was a breaking ball that was middle middle, and he did what he's supposed to do with it. And he didn't get quite all of it, but he got 75 to 80 percent of it, and it went oppo over the wall. It's it's impressive right now, and he will strike out a ton, but. Not as much as last year when he struck out 200 times in five months or four months, I guess. And, and the other thing with that is is that you, you watch him now. He's going to have walks to go with it. And 
you, you see it every series. I, I've watched him some series, you know, on MILB TV in addition to what we got to see in person. What you see is, is pitchers, they know, they're, they're afraid of him, and they should be. If you're a Carolina League pitcher, you know that if you make any kind of mistake, he's got a very good chance of, of making you pay for it. And so you're seeing, I mean, he's, he's seeing a lot of pitchers pitch, you know, pitching around him, and he's taking, he's taking what they give him. If they're going to walk him, he'll take the walk. One of the biggest revelations I've had this year, starting from NHSI, is when we started charting pitches. And when you do that in-game, if you can, while you're videoing and stop watching and all that, you can start to notice patterns. And there are patterns that have some guys, you notice where guys are vulnerable. Jorge Alfaro, during that series, was vulnerable to breaking pitches. He swung at a lot, and he swung really poorly. Courtney Hawkins was the same. Larry Green, uh, when Larry Green was playing Lakewood here, the pitcher, I forget who was on the mound, but he started him twice with back-to-back change-ups, and he got Larry Green to fish twice. You can Courtney notice Hawkins. The, Courtney Hawkins the same way. You can uh, uh, Claudio versus Hawkins was, was not You fair. knew what the approach was going to be. Cause that was Bugs Bunny versus Elmer Fudd. Right. I mean, Cla- Claudio, uh, Alex Claudio, right? Right. Claudio is a low-slot you know, guy who is change-up, followed by change-up, and then I'm going to throw you my change-up, and you better watch out because here comes my change-up. And he threw a fastball, and Jason Coates hit, or Grant Buckner hit it out. Yeah, and you know it's always around the zone. I think at one point Claudio in the game against where he faced Hawkins, he had thrown 21 pitches, and two of them were balls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's always around the zone. And Courtney Hawkins, it was just okay. I'm gonna throw a changeup, you know, just off the plate, and, w- and swung through it. And when we talk about changeups here, we're not talking about low 80s changeups. We're talking about high 60s right. changeups. It's, and it was just over and over. And again, young hitter, aggressive. You see, they're going to chase Gallo. When, again, we got we got a good look at him. I mean, it was, a, it was he was being very productive when we saw him. But Gallo was watching. You'd see him start to swing, and then nope, and he'd catch himself on changeups that weren't far off the plate. And I think, if I remember correctly, two of the strikeouts in that series were looking. Yes. On on yes. pitches that may or may not have they been were strikes. borderline. I mean, there were there were they were borderline pitches, especially the second one. Um, it was it was interesting to watch him kind of on the second one. Uh, he didn't argue it, but he did immediately as he was walking off. He was watching the center field the the video board because he wanted to see where it was. And as soon as they showed it up on there, he didn't. But the dugout, everyone in the dugout was, was basically letting the, the umpire have it. It was a fun, you know, it, it was a fun look. Yeah, it, it really was. And, hey, they're coming in again because the Carolina League has eight teams. So, or is it eight teams? Yeah. Yeah. And they're coming into Carolina, uh, and that should be really fun. And we'll get to see Chichi Gonzalez, too. Right, which we didn't get to see in this series. Um, uh, one other guy I did want there were a number of interesting guys for that Myrtle Beach team. I mean, we could spend five minutes talking about Jose Leclerc and his 94, 96-hour mm-hmm. fastball, uh, you know, and then a, a really nice breaking ball when we saw him twice. Um, you know, there's a number of guys, but to me, one thing to sum up also among uh, as far as elite prospects on that team, Jorge Alfaro, who had some struggles. He hit a double, but at the plate, he struggled a little bit. Had some strikeouts when we watched him behind the plate. That's really kind of the question with Alfaro, and I feel like we got the perfect summarization of Jorge Alfaro, the catcher, 2014, kind of the good and the still the bad that still has to be worked on with Leclerc on the mound. He set up inside. Leclerc missed his target and missed it pretty badly. So Leclerc misses. He set up to the inside of a left-handed hit, uh, to a right-handed hitter. Leclerc misses and is outside. 
batter swings. Alfaro, it's not a ball in the dirt. Alfaro gets crossed up, just misses it. Which really, to be honest, even though he didn't hit his spot, it was a ball that should have been caught or at the worst blocked. And I, think, he, I think he got leather on it. Yeah, it, but it went to the backstop. And that was bad. I mean, Alfaro has that. Alfaro leads the Carolina League last I checked in pass balls. Alfaro has moments where you're like, how did that ball get through? At the same time, then Alfaro springs up, sprints to the backstop, gets to the ball, picks it up, as you know, because the guy's running to try to get to first on the strikeout, and without getting a chance to really set his feet, just fires off a absolute strike to first base, showing off his plus arm, and he gets him out. And it's like, okay, he should have never have allowed that ball to get back there. But at the same time, there are even fewer catchers who, if that ball did get back there, could actually have gotten back there and thrown the guy out. And, and you, it was a pretty incredible play. And you mentioned the pass balls. I wonder how much of the product of, the, uh, of that is a product of, A, official scorers, bizarreness, and, B, working with a staff that includes LeClerc and Victor Payano and guys like that who are going to be wild. I, I think there's part of that, though, but I, I do think every time every report I've ever heard on Alfaro from scouts is, always says there seems to be plays where either it's concentration or he just gets locked up and balls that he should be catching. And, it's, again, you'll see good hands. It's not like his hands are hard. It's just like all of a sudden – he, yeah. has a, he, has a, he has a pitch where you're like, oh, he just lost it there. There was a couple where there weren't pass balls or wild pitches or anything, but he just flat dropped them in the mm-hmm. zone. It didn't, didn't catch them. He put a glove on it. It landed his feet. Right. It's only which, a couple times in the series. Which, which is not – for pitch framing, you know, which has become a, a much bigger thing in baseball, when you drop pitches in the zone, not good for pitch framing. No, it's, it's bad. Yeah. But, um, but, again, it was a fascinating, a fun look. The Winston-Salem team was fun to watch, too. Yeah, they're going to be fun to watch all year. I mean, Francellus Montas was interesting. Uh, on. I'll give him a three or four stars on Yelp. Would watch again. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he, was, he was a big-bodied son of a gun. Throws it, oh, we touched 97 a couple times, 94, 96 most of the time. Uh, and, 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 and a slider and, that flashed plus to me. Yeah, I mean, it was... The changeup was not good, but no, and his delivery's not great. You know, he's probably. I mean, you still would say he's probably a reliever, but he was interesting. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Um, but yeah, but so we do want to also hit the uh, the Twitter uh, because we do have a, a number of, uh, of of questions out there, starting with Winston Salem. So Daylight Scott asks, "What are your thoughts on Winston Salem's Mike Recchia as Kurt hot streak on the mound with high K numbers?" I like Mike Recchia, but he's and he's doing what he's supposed to do in the um, Carolina League is where he is. I think if you, he needs to be in Birmingham. He's twenty five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just no. I hate to say it, but he's you, you, when you're that age at that level. You right now, there's skepticism, and as you climb up, you could erase that skepticism. But that's there, there's. You're not high up. Uh, I, I know I want to put it, but when you're 25 and high A, that's the start. What the starting point is is that there is skepticism about your, your, your big league future. And you should like Recchia. Yes, he's, he's, an he, he's an indie ball grade. Yes. He's a Yankees reliever for a while. Uh, then he got released and went to play with, I want to say, the Windy, the Windy City. Windy City Thunderbolts, I believe. There it is. Um, and then he got signed briefly by the Orioles and then was released out of spring training, and now he's back with the White Sox, and he's doing what he needs to do. Uh, unfortunately, I think they need to move him up. Right. Unfortunately I think, for him. Again, I, I think he's, 
Realistically, he's more of an org player with a good start to the season who you have to prove you're not an org player. But, I mean, by an org player, a guy who's more useful as a guy to, you know, get W's and all on the minor league level. I would say, again, especially as a pitcher, you're never – it's never that you have no chance. But that's not really – I would not put him in their top 30 or anything like that. That's the way to put it. So, Bednards42 has a question for us. He asks, is Betts, which at this point – He's like Cher. He's got one name. Yeah. Is Mookie, oh, which is weird because it's not Mookie. But, yeah, it would be Mookie to me. Is, is Mookie <laughs> is Mookie Betts uh, a top 25 midseason prospect? Yes. I think he could be. I mean, I, I we were having this discussion uh, earlier today, you know, just talking about some stuff we're planning and all. And the thing that uh, that we talked about was it's very difficult when you do, the midseason list is in many ways I think the most difficult of the prospect rankings we do because you don't want to overemphasize a great start to the season, but you also don't want to underemphasize. You have to kind of pull out that difference between. How much of this is the guy having a hot start, and how much of it is the guy who's showing you, no, I'm a better player than maybe the perception was coming into the year. And the perception of Mookie Betts coming into the year was that he was quite good. He's had, I'll let you just go, you do the Mookie meter every day. What has Mookie done this year? Everything. He gets on base every day. He's gotten on base in 60 straight games dating back to last year. And if you don't want to count, you don't want to go back to last year, he was on Five, ba- five times on base in the playoffs, missed on base three times, two or three times. There's one bad box score data in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, he's leading the Eastern League in stolen bases. He hits home runs. He plays excellent defense. He does everything right now. And I think what's the most impressive thing is this is double A. You can do that in high A, and then you can come to double A in Portland, where it's basically Hoth at that point in, in April in the Eastern League, and you can fail. A, a good prospect can fail in that league, and I've seen it many, many, many times, having covered that league for six years. He's, he has not missed a beat. He, he, he dropped below 400 uh, very recently, and you know there's all sorts of jokes on Twitter like, oh, you know, trade him now, the hype is over, the real Mookie's been exposed, he's under 400. I like him a lot. <laughs> right. Now, the question, you know, I had an SBA question about this this week, which is, okay, where does he play? And that's still difficult. Like, the, the Red Sox have talked about the idea that he could be a, a Ben Zobra super subtype, which he hasn't played it yet. I mean, he's just been a second baseman now, you know, but you could see him being able to play center. You could see him being able to play left. Yeah, maybe you could see him being able to play short. But... I, long, they still are going to have a problem because when we just talked about that with the Red Sox, okay, how many games is Betts going to get, barring injury, how many games is Betts going to get at second base with Pedroia there? You know, if he, 20. I 30, mean, 20 maybe. Depends yeah. on what Pedroia does as far as health goes. Right. But well, if he's healthy, Pedroia is playing at least 140 someone games. Someone asked me about center field. I don't know what Jackie Bradley is going to do with the bat, but he's a better glove than Mookie Betts is going to be in center field. One would imagine, considering that Mookie has not played center field in, yeah, and, in a game. And Bradley big, is otherworldly the there. No, that's the right. Bradley, Bradley is... Now, Betts is faster, but Bradley Bradley is an exceptional defender. And he's got an arm. Yeah. I, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, he could play left. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any question. I mean, but, but the thing about it is, is that it's going to be interesting to watch with that because they're going to have to have a continual evaluation of is Betts more valuable to us 
or is he more valuable in what he could get us in a trade? Because right. I mean, let's let's also take a minute here to credit the Red Sox. Look at the draft that Mookie Betts was in. Mm-hmm. You had Henry Owens. Mm-hmm. You had Jackie Bradley. Mm-hmm. You have Matt Barnes. Mm-hmm. You have Blake Swihart. Mm-hmm. And there's one more I'm missing. But I looked at it last night, and it was, if all those guys are in the major leagues, that's, that's un- an amazing. It's an amazing draft, and that's only the first eight rounds or yeah. so, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's no, it's it's. Well, again, you look at. It, I mean, if they, if you said what team out there that's going to be in the, you know, in the in the in the pennant race, has the most ammunition to trade. If it's not the Red Sox, they're in the top two or three. Right. I, again, if you said other teams that will have ammunition, I, the, we, we had the Pirates number one in our uh, preseason uh, rank, you know, talent rankings. They don't have the most ammunition, partly because Jameson Tyone is on the shelf for TJ. Harold Ramirez came off the DL today. That's nice. Yes, but uh, but they got lower level guys, which is when it comes to ammunition, the higher level guys you have. I mean, you look at the the, the Red Sox and you say. Let's just talk about pure surplus guys. Guys who you say you can't really figure out a clear way that they aren't blocked at the big league level. You've got bets. You could throw in, take your pick of any catcher that's not Blake Swihart. You could throw in Devin Marrero at shortstop if you wanted to. I mean, by the way, as catcher, you got like Christian Vasquez. Right. Well. I mean, Vasquez is probably a, a backup. Right, I think he's not a cornerstone guy to trade, but I, yeah, I can see many a team no, saying he'd but be he's useful. A, he could be a useful piece. I mean, I, during the Eastern League calls last year, they ranked him as the best catch and throw guy in that league, and there were some good guys in that league. And then, and then you go, okay, just at the upper levels, okay, let's say that Henry Owens is untouchable. Well, then you've got Matt Barnes and Anthony Renato and Ruby De La Rosa and Alan Webster. You know, and take, that's just pitchers. And, and Garen Shakini and Brandon Workman and Drake Britton. Right. I mean, you, you've you got... Could, you could do this and not even take that big a hit. Right. I mean, again, Shakini may be the Red Sox third baseman of the future, but if it's not Will Middlebrooks, but we don't know that. One of the... I'll put it this way. You could trade one of those guys and be okay. And by the way, there's also the chance that Xander Bogarts is the third baseman of the future. And then you, then you would keep Devin Marrero. So... Does that mean they're going to sign Stephen Drew? No. <laughs> You can, no, no, no. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, again, they're they are in very, very, very good uh, position. Like, and that's another reason that it's hard to to get bet some versatility. Okay, you're gonna move. Let's say you move him to third base at 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 Portland. What happens when he moves up? Is Garen Chikini still there? Or does he take time from Garen Chikini at third base? What happens? Yeah, I I think third base is probably a, a stretch of a position for bets. You know, I don't think that's a good a necessarily good fit. I I just think they're gonna have. I think there's a decent chance he ends up being a great trade chip. You know, just because Petroya is signed, we'll be in the next decade before Petroya's contract is up. So, you know, he's, he's into the 2020s, if I remember correctly, with the options and all. So, um, uh, Trey Rose, TC Rose 35, asks, who do you like better in five years, Jerickson Profar or Addison Russell? It's an interesting one. You're asking me to, to talk about two guys who are current... <laughs> Currently dealing with severe injuries. Yes. We, we, as, as of right now, nothing is changing in this battle, uh, you know, today or tomorrow or the next day. No, right now it's who can rehab better. Um, I'm going to go with Profar just because he's proven it at a higher level. That's yeah. Really I mean, I, I think I think they're reasonably close. Um, I would say if you said I think Russell could end up having more. I might, the, the, the argument I might give for Russell right now is is that 
if you're talking about, I mean, there's different ways you can look at this. If you're talking about value at the big league level, we now know that Profar is going to be a second baseman, it looks like. Although, maybe not, because we also have the now with Odor up at the big league level. you know, And Sardino's up at the big league level. Right. It, it could get fascinating in, in many ways, because let's just take the supposition that, let's say Odor, you know, over the next month or two looks really good, which is highly possible. Odor has a great feel for the game. Pull heavy approach, uh, you know, but more power than the average second baseman. And I think, although he's very pull heavy in his approach, he's not an easy out. It's not like something we just pitch him away and he just has no clue. So if he has a good start there, well, then they've got a very interesting decision to make when Profar comes back because Elvis Andres is there. Elvis Andres, Profar, Odor, and as you said, Sardinas is also up, although Sardinas very well could be a useful backup in that group with that group as well. Um, but so my argument that I could make for Russell would be is that I think Russell's going to be a shortstop for the Rays. Profar is going to be barring something unexpected, the a second baseman for the Rangers. You'd rather have a shortstop normally than second base. That doesn't mean that Profar couldn't be as good, if not a better second shortstop than Russell, but he may not get that opportunity. So I don't know if that even answered your question in any ways, Trey. I apologize if it didn't. But uh, it was a split decision. It's a split decision. Um, so. I, I also wanted to ask, we got a couple, I talked a little bit about this today on Twitter, and so we got a couple, you know, a couple questions about Wilmer Flores, your current, your new Mets shortstop. And I, I just wanted to kind of riff on this a little bit, you know, and, and Josh will join in, but I, I kind of find it fascinating because as we've been joking about on Twitter the last couple of days, it, it does feel like for many of us longtime BA staffers that, uh, that we've been writing about Wilmer Flores for about a 1100 years at this point because he was a, a, a big name when he signed very quickly he was in low a very quickly he was in high a he didn't stay in high a for a very long time but he kind of got it all together he's moved up he's now you know making his kind of installed as the the Mets shortstop partly because it's like well we don't have anything else so let's give this a try and I find it fascinating because I've never talked to a scout who's seen Wilmer Flores who believes he could be a big league shortstop. And I've also, when I've run that question by scouts, they say, like, he's a 20. I mean, he's a 20 runner. He is a bottom-of-the-scale runner. And I can't get anyone to think of a guy they remember who was a bottom-of-the-scale runner at shortstop, especially coming up, making him, you know, as he arrived in the big leagues as a shortstop, as that kind of runner. It's kind of fascinating. I mean, he doesn't have a quick first step. He has no, and I do mean no speed by Major League Baseball standards. He'd probably beat either of us in a foot race and it wouldn't be close. But, you know, but, uh, but he has no speed. But he is relatively sure-handed. So, and as we've said, the Mets don't have anything there. So it is going to be fascinating to me to see the science experiment that is a pretty solid-hitting no defense shortstop who will make the plays on the balls that you position him at properly, but won't go very far to his right or left. I'm kind of fascinated to see what in that ends up being. And I, I don't know the answer to that yet, but I truly hope we see it for a month or two at least to just kind of see how, how it turns out. I think best case scenario, he's okay. And I think worst case scenario, you're getting calls on Twitter for re-signing Jordani Valdespin. Or bring he's like a, the Marlin now. Can't get him. Or, oh, or getting J- Gavin Shakini up there. 
Who's in low A? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, no, actually, I think the calls would be, why is Stephen Drew not here? There's a, there's a good one, yes. It sounds like the way you're describing it, it would almost be like plugging Bartolo Colon in at shortstop. It's not that bad, because he is, <laughs> I mean, he's not a danger to himself. He's not a danger to himself. That being said, again, I've talked to a lot of scouts who really question whether he could play third or second because of his range. As the descriptions, I went back and looked at some of them, and some of these are two, three years old. I, they haven't gotten better. I don't think. But the descriptions are like, he's really heavy-footed. Guy who got a 4-7 to first. I mean, a 4-7, really, when you say a 20-runner, a 4-6 is a 20. A 4-7 is just you're getting into Billy Butler range. Um, uh, to put it in perspective, imagine Billy Butler, who did was drafted as a third baseman, but imagine Billy Butler playing shortstop. That's really kind of... Uh, well, I, again, he's going to be better than that, but... I am fascinated because Johnny Peralta is a below-average runner. Johnny Peralta is significantly faster than Wilmer Flores. That is it's not scar- good, scary to think of. I'm it, trying to think of a shortstop being nicknamed Country Breakfast and it really working out. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think you, you ever will see that. Um, so also got a question here. The Dukes. Ah, let's go to this one first. It's Heroic. Kuroda, it's basically, it's not Hiroki Kuroda, it's a Twitter uh, Twitter handle that is kind of like Hiroki Kuroda, H-I-R with a zero, K-I-K-U-R. Yeah, I think his actual username when it comes up is just J. Yeah, but uh, yes, Luis Severino's future, starter or reliever, and why? I've heard a lot of... Luis Severino, to give background to it. Luis Severino is a guy I've liked for a a couple years now. He's uh, a Dominican guy, he's 20 years old, and he was in the GCL last year and destroyed, and then they jumped him over short season Staten Island, and he didn't destroy with Charleston, but I think it was 21 strikeouts to four walks and a brief look, and he's back there this year, and his numbers are, he's allowing more than a hit per inning, but he's also walked seven guys in, I think, 31 innings, and he's up there on strikeouts with Harvey and Giolito, so he's more than holding his own in the South Atlantic League. The, the dings on him are going to be because of his size. He's six foot and not a big guy, but he throws very hard and has two good pitches, and that's what you're, you're going to knock his size if you're going to ask him he's a reliever. But you're going to give him every chance to start. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more and more, if the delivery's clean, I'm less skeptical about a small guy being able to start. Uh, Jordana Ventura says, hey. Yeah, Jordana Ventura <laughs> says, hey. He's going to be the John, new Pedro Johnny Martins. Cueto's thick, but Johnny Cueto's a short guy. Um, you know, and had, you know, he's had some minor, I mean, his injury problems all stem from a pretty freaky delivery. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I, you, you have those questions, but a guy like that, I'm going to be inclined to say starter actually now, whereas I used to I used to fall on the edge of, okay, if he's short, he probably can't do it. Right, I, and you're gonna, like I said, you're going to give him a lot of chances to fail. They're, I think they're just now converting Jose Ramirez to the bullpen, and he's a similar body comp. I think he's a little thicker, which is scary because Jose Ramirez isn't thick than uh, Luis Severino, and he's, he just came back off the DL with like a couple an oblique in spring training and an oblique last year, and now he's in the bullpen. But they gave him lots and lots and lots of chances to start. If he doesn't get hurt last year, he was in the major leagues. He would have been in the major leagues in that bullpen, breaking in eventually as a starter. It's, a, it's an interesting comparison, those two. Uh, and last question we're going to do uh, before heading out of here on a Friday. We're uh, off of a busy uh, draft preparation, draft issue week. 
So the Duke 68, uh, who just, his username is the Duke, but uh, a longtime listener to the BA podcast and a friend of BA, asks, has Nick Travieso been as impressive as the numbers indicate? Only four walks so far this year. Um, I'll take this. Travieso has been better uh, this year than last. He should be somewhat because he's repeating, uh, you know, he's, he's back in, in low A. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he's been better. Um, he's, it's been an encouraging uh, start to the season for him. His velo's up a little bit over what it was last year. That being said, I mean, I, I'd say it's encouraging. I, I, I would still say in a system that actually you know, has, ha- has a, a good bit of pitching prospects and not a whole lot of position prospects, it's a big, it's a big step forward for him. It's funny he is kind of overshadowed in that uh, in that uh, uh, organization because uh, Ben Lively has been insane. Now Nick Travieso is still a better prospect than Ben Lively. Ben Lively has been the Mookie Betts of pitching. Yes, uh, well, no, Mookie Betts try, is trying to be the Ben Lively of hitting because a point a point five or whatever it is ERA in the Cal League with a uh, I'll look it up while we're talking a strikeout to walk rate. That, it's like fifty to one or something. It is. Insane. I mean, it is truly, truly insane. I would say video game numbers, but I can't play video games. I'm terrible. I, I, I was gonna say this is this goes beyond. Yeah, I like if this was in a video game, you would actually throw out the video game because you'd say oh, it's just not realistic at all. Uh, You've been hitting a cheat code. Yeah, Ben Lively uh, to give you the up to the date stats: six and zero, zero point six three ERA in seven starts. 54 Ks, three walks in 42 and two-thirds innings. I said 50 to 1 being facetious. I was close. That's, that's 9 to 1, right? Right. And, and the, the crazy thing is, is that, now, all that being said, he's a solid prospect. He could be a solid back end of the rotation starter. He's not an ace. And I know that you see those numbers in the Cal League and people will go, what do you mean he can't be an ace? His stuff is just, pro, does not a, he would be, he would be, for him to be an ace, he would be surprising a whole lot of people because when you talk about the what a, makes up an ace, it's not his stuff. His yeah, stuff yeah, is his four out. pitches for strikes. And let me correct my earlier earlier terrible math. Fifty four to three is eighteen to one. Yes, not nine to one. He uh, has a .63 walks per nine to go with eleven point three nine strikeouts per nine. In I, I will say it again, in the Cali now. I will say that Lively has not pitched in High Desert. He's not pitched in Lancaster, the two places you know that just are disasters for pitchers. Oh, and Lancaster also has uh, Carlos Correa and Teoscar Hernandez. It's a fun Rio Ruiz. Rio Ruiz, yeah. yeah it's a but uh, but Lively has allowed runs in two of his seven starts. He has five times he's gone you know shut out. Usually six innings. He went seven last time. He's fascinating. I, I I do say he's fascinating. He's got a delivery that's hard for hitters to pick up the ball. Um, and the funny thing is, is I, I right now like the question is, is okay, when's he gonna get promoted to Double A? Part of it is, is when a guy Double A on that Double A staff ready to be promoted to Triple A because they have an all prospect rotation: Morcino, mm-hmm. Moscott, Stevenson, Lorenzen, Lorenzen, and uh, Contreras. Five five guys in their top thirty in the starting pitching staff for Pensacola. When one of those guys is ready to move up, then you move Lively up, but you're not going to move him up. Just You're not going to go to six-man rotation just to mess with things. You're, I think one of them must be hurt because Mikey O'Brien is starting tonight for uh, Pensacola. That's true. One of them may... That's right. Or 
Yeah, one of them may be hurt, but they've got... Or they had a rain situation. It might something. be, but they have five guys in that rotation who are all prospects. It very well could be a rain situation because they got destroyed last week. Yeah. Um, so, what are you doing this week, JJ? What are we, what are we seeing this week? Uh, I was trying to think. Next week, we got the Braves in town. Yeah, we got a lot of Braves. A uh, whole lot of Braves. Rome we and got Lynchburg. Got Rome and Lynchburg. Rome's going to be in Greensboro. Lynchburg's going to be in Carolina. Uh, we're also going to get Lexington coming into Greensboro. So, with those teams, you'll get... Uh, Victor Reyes, Victor Caratini, Jose Peraza, Lucas Sims, Mauricio Cabrera, Mauricio Cabrera, Kyle Wren, and then on Lexington you will have Ilya Hernandez and Samir Duenas, a mm-hmm. couple a couple good good guys on the Royals. So you'll have plenty of uh, of ammo for that. But uh, as I've been telling you, the real treats in a couple weeks when Wilmington is in Carolina and 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 Lakewood no Lakewood is in is in Greensboro. And Wilmington's in Carolina, so you can get Raul Mondesi and J.P. Crawford twice the in the same day. day, three times in three in, in three days. So that's, that'll be fun. That's five views of top flight shortstops in three days. That'll be fun. Be a lot of car driving, but it'll be fun. It will. But we've done a lot of car driving this week too. Uh, but uh, again, thank everyone for the download here on the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. A reminder again. Special draft offer right now. If you go to uh, the baseballamerica.com slash store, you can get a free extra month if you subscribe now. And for Josh Norris, I'm JJ Cooper. Thanks again for the download.